And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-com, startups, Amazon. Today, we're going to be talking about the future of freight. So we're getting into all of it. And before I introduce today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Today's guest, Daniel Sikolsky, I think I got that right, uh, out of LA, but family from Ukraine. So forgive me for butchering that up uh, with a company called We Are Warp, um, hailing out of LA. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thank you. And I'll just yeah. clarify, it's called Warp. We're, we're just Warp. Our domain is wearewarp.com. Okay, I got the wrong notes. I got yeah. the wrong notes here, so forgive me. Uh, so We Are Warp is the domain, where to find him. Uh, but uh, more importantly, Warp is the name of the company. So before we jump into um, before we jump into like exactly what you do and talking freight and talking business, I like to get to know uh, the founders a little bit and share a little bit of that founder story. How did you get here? How did you get to a point where you're, you know, you're launching this company um, as far back as you want to go? So I like to take a little time here, if you don't mind. And everybody has kind of a unique story and how they became an entrepreneur or a founder. Um, where did yours get started? Did you, you know, did you go to college and do the college thing? Did you know you want to be a business owner before that? Was, you know, have you always been in and around freight? Uh, where's your story begin? Yeah, man. So uh, it, it can be long, you know, so brace yourself a little bit <laughs> for the length. Um, no, we got time. We got time. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah. So basically, look, I, m uh, my parents moved here like uh, one year, a year and a half before I was born. They moved to the U.S. So basically, I was born, um, you know, they got here, started hustling around whatever they could. My dad was working a lot in taxi. Um, a few years after I was born, you know, he kind of was able to like hustle around a little bit, make himself, you know, make his own way up. And they opened up a courier company in the late 90s. And so basically, like, you know, ever since I can remember, I was somehow involved in courier and, you know, my parent, like watching my parents launch their business, see kind of like, you know, the the trials and tribulations of, of that, you know, and as a kid. Um and honestly, man, like when I, when I was a kid, like during the summer times, you know, if I wanted to make money, if I wanted to go out and like get something I couldn't afford, you know, my dad would just, you know, drop me off smart and final, but that was like a little mini Costco basically. And, uh, you know, I'd buy out, buy some candies, buy some drinks. I'd walk around with a little cooler with some ice in it and uh, just walk around the park in the summertime, you know? So I kind of learned really early on how to interact with people, um, how to sell things to people. And dude, I was selling like waters, Gatorades, you know, whatever at the basketball court, basically. Yeah. And, um, you know, after that, I kind of, you know, I, I knew that I really always liked to just interact with people and, and provide a solution for them. You know, it's not really so much for me about like selling a product, right? Like, I'm not trying to give you a bottle of water. I want, I'm trying to get you hydrated, you know, and, and, you know, kind of similar, you know, regardless if you're from selling water or freight services, right? I don't, I don't want you to buy the truck. You know, I'm really trying to solve the logistics problems of your particular business. Um, and so, you know, kind of grew up around that and then, you know, 
Uh, Neopets was actually the way that I got online, you know, started building websites and stuff like that around that. And, uh, you know, eventually just kind of when I was in high school, just did little tiny businesses, you know, Google AdWords stuff, stuff online, you know, with some ad clicks, eBay, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then I ended up going to college to study math. My mom was like, I got into Berkeley. She was like, all right, you, you got to study math, you know, so got to go out and, and uh, you know, get yourself a PhD in math, you know. And uh, basically I got there. And again, like that entrepreneurial instinct came out and I'm thinking, all right, what, what can we get going on here on campus? And for me, I was like really attached, like with the whole concept of like food and, you know, serving people kind of what they want to eat. It's a really easy business to start, too. So basically started a food delivery marketplace on the Berkeley campus. Um, I ran, I bootstrapped that business. You ran it for about a year and a half. And it was just basically DoorDash, right? Like a lighter version of DoorDash around the campus. They actually started around the same time that we did. So okay. it was kind of a friendly competition between us, us and them. Obviously, they had venture money. You know, they were able to execute a lot more than I was able to. But still, it was a friendly, friendly competition. And in some um, ways, I do think that in some ways, like if you're new and you're doing something new, it helps to have other people doing it. It's like... As someone that was kind of like trying to create uh, services around building brands on Amazon and working with Amazon sellers, and I wasn't—I was early, so it was like it was really head against the wall trying to get people to understand what I was doing and the concept. It wasn't just like straightforward. Um, so, but like whenever some other agencies started coming out or aggregators or competition, basically in my space, it definitely helped propel me forward um, and help help sharpen the offer, you know, so to speak. So. I get that. So when was that? Like, give me a time frame. Like, so this around. is I opened up Berkeley Delivers basically 20, 2013. Okay. Um, so twenty thirteen, opened up Berkeley Delivers, ran it, kind of like fucked around a little bit for a year and a half, shut it down December twenty fourteen, and basically at that time, you know, DoorDash was coming in. They were marketing already in Berkeley. It was just like impossible to make any money at the time. Yeah. Um, also, Bank of America went crazy with overdraft fees and stuff. So they kept, I, it was a bootstrap business, man. It, it was hard, you know, like definitely, definitely was a grind. Um, and then in 2015, opened up a company called Axel Hire. And that was kind of like, in my eyes, like an automated dispatch, right? So we, we, I didn't have to deal with consumers, didn't have to deal with restaurants and like order food and figure out, you know, how to make a website behind it. But, the, you know, kind of like the vision behind Axel Hire was we would basically do all that back end, right? Like everything from once a shipment is already confirmed, the customer already places an order, we'd basically be able to route it automatically assign a driver, send the driver the information, they show up and pick it up. And we were all about same day delivery, right? Like hyper fast, hyper local, same day delivery. Uh, who were you that, working with at that time? Like what who, What were you delivering? Uh, we were basically, at, at, in the very, very beginning, we were delivering local diet plans. So it was like, we started up in the Bay Area. So there's a lot of, you know, people basically who are getting like a meal services and diet plans that get delivered to them, you know, every few days and stuff like that. Everything from like, vegan vegetarian paleo to people who have like some kind of like medical conditions and things like that and we were basically delivering to those customers so you just partner with like a kitchen or like a, a group that was doing that maybe like that you had to pick up and you're like we'll deliver we'll be your delivery service for that exactly so like our at the time we worked with teeny tiny customers one of them was local you know so local had their customers in marin county they basically delivered meals to them you know three or four times a week and you know we'd approach local and say hey guys we can deliver for you here's our cost per delivery we can make sure that it's a certain quality of service and you know we're in business <laughs> and you know i mean with, with smb it's a little bit easier to deal with right you you sit down with the owner you know, you do a small test, you make sure that you can build trust with each other, you actually deliver on your promise. And then, you know, from there, it's kind of, you know, just continuing getting more and more business from them. Totally. So basically did that from 2015 to 2017. And in 2017, 
like end of 2016, basically, we were lucky enough, we got an opportunity um, from a big meal kit company, right? We were delivering all these diet plans. We started crawling up into like different produce deliveries, things like that. And in 2017, we were able to start working with meal kit companies. And so this one changed the game for us entirely because we were now allowed, instead of doing a same day delivery, we did a next day delivery. So we opened up a facility. We'd pick up on a big 53 foot truck from their fulfillment center, bring it back to our facility, sort them and go and deliver from there. So effectively, like we were making like an early UPS or early FedEx, right? Like super simple, take everything to one building, sort all the packages, deliver them from there. And over time, we basically, you know, we succeeded well with them. We got another one on, we got another one. We started getting e-com brands that were looking for faster delivery, lower cost, higher qualities, things like that. And eventually the Axel Hire model became so successful that by 2019, we started scaling it across the country, right? We'd open okay. up a facility there, um, basically get different customers to go in. We sort those boxes, go and deliver. And man, like on-time delivery was up. We really changed the experience for a lot of these recipients, right? We provided the Amazon like tracking for them. Um, we provided like ETAs for when the driver would get there. We made it easier for them to see photo proof of deliveries, figure out where their boxes were at and stuff like that. So we really did like provide an Amazon like delivery experience for, for like smaller, medium-sized businesses, enterprise also eventually, you know, but people who really weren't able to get that full Amazon advantage. Yeah, because there's, so, a, there's a lot there's a lot there that maybe like some of our listeners aren't thinking about, for example, like um, when you're dealing with FedEx or UPS, um, you know, to file a claim or to get a hold of a driver is is impossible. You can't just call a UPS driver and say, where are you? You know, things like that. It's not it's not possible. Um, you know, you're a, a cog in the wheel returns. And, you know, at least at least around food, you know, something, something sitting on the, uh, the steps too long or it's like not delivered on time right let's say they were waiting for it then they had to leave because it came late and then now their food's out there and it's ruined if you've got like returns returns kill e-commerce uh just the margins so if you have like you know you have to keep your return rate or your cancellation or your refund rate below a certain point to be profitable as a business um you know for me in the warehousing i have a smaller warehouse here and i started it simply because working for 10 plus years with bigger brands and the warehouses and fulfillment centers they had to work with at large scale there was no one there I could call then just get like, you know, get Bill on the phone and be like, Bill, what's going on and create a relationship with it. You know, it's, it's fill out a ticket. It's join the form. It's, you know, if you weren't a big brand or a big business, you weren't really getting that type of customer care. So there's a lot of value in being able to say, Hey, uh, you know, this is a small local, but local business. They care about our work and relationship and be able to get people on the phone as a, as a business and be able to get that, that customer service. Maybe that Amazon was the first one to do at scale. Right. Where if it wasn't two days, you're getting paid, we're getting refunded or discounts or things like that. So I could see why you guys were exploding, uh, because what people don't see is behind all these small businesses, behind all these businesses, these big, you know, courier services like USPS and FedEx and UPS is a nightmare at times. Yeah. Not all the time, but can be a nightmare that, you know, ultimately I've seen businesses just change fulfillment centers over and over and over trying to find, you know, good solutions. So I can yeah. see why you guys are exploding. That was cool. So you started in the Bay Area. Where, where was the next couple of cities you went? So it was we did West Coast. So it was like L, uh, L.A. Uh, we opened up L.A. Then about a few months later, we opened up Portland and Seattle at the same time. And then from there, it started becoming like Phoenix, uh, Vegas, you know, and kind of going across the country. Okay. Um, so it's exploding, really. 
I mean, dude, COVID definitely helped. You know what I mean? Like COVID came by and, you know, everyone started ordering online, shopping online. The good thing for us was our technology was in a good place. So like literally COVID hits in 2020, like we take a couple of weeks to just like figure what the fuck is going on, you know, like SF shut down offices. We all start working from home. We're like, okay, well, let's brace for impact. And then basically once we started kind of getting our stuff together, um, you know, it, it, it like literally the company became a problem with just like opening up more and more and more markets, right? Like customers were getting satisfied, you know, drivers were there because a lot of jobs, you Finding know, them work when they get to be remote, they don't have to be around other people to deliver. Exactly. Um, yeah, I was on the e-com side of it. So, you know, um, shipping packages out, getting, you know, we were running a warehouse, like definitely like where some people were getting more time alone than they've ever had in their lives. We were like busting ass to keep yeah. up. Um, which is a, you know, a good problem and a bad problem. But when everyone around you is like chilling in a hammock, um, it was, it was hard. We were busting ass, you know? So, um, I'm also thinking about like getting into a fulfillment center during the pandemic was next to near impossible. Like if you were a brand not using, so Amazon FBA cut down anything that was non-essential. So if you had non-essential products, you couldn't use Amazon FBA. They were only using it for like foods and toothpaste and toilet paper and things like that. So you had to have a fulfillment center. Like you had to be able to ship from from your own uh, fulfillment center or from a third party, and if you weren't already set up in that way, you're shit out of luck. Like you you couldn't get into one for maybe eighteen months or something like that. So um, you you guys a new service popping up, giving these people options, um, freaking awesome. But you're kind of blowing over like one the technology stack had to be pretty robust to be able to expand and continue to grow that way and be efficient and not not create lots of problems. And then two, um, maybe like. I was thinking about like the leases of getting these warehouse locations to be able to like, you know, take the trucks there and then sort them and then decide where they're going with drivers. Uh, that would have been a big undertaking. Yeah. I mean, it was big dude. Like the facilities team was going out there, touring buildings, meeting, trying to negotiate with landlords, negotiating with agents. It was, it was wild, man. It was like, like, you know, that movie, anything everywhere, all at once. That was literally, you know, exactly what was happening for us at that point. It was just like, volume was coming from everywhere there's drivers you need to open up facilities you just gotta you know we were moving as quickly as we possibly could cool. and you know and then basically 2021 comes along and by that point everyone and their mother basically opened up a last mile delivery company right and all of a sudden you have all these different options available for shippers all these different ways discounts you had like existing providers that grew big small providers that grew medium you know so the market just became like super, super like it. I mean, it didn't become really saturated to like 2022, you know, but like, I think like 2021, it was like writing was on the wall that like everybody was going into last mile, right. And, and everybody was trying to figure out whether it's a drone or, or a delivery robot or, you know, person in a delivery van, electric van, you know, gas powered van, it didn't matter. Right. Um, and so really, you know, we, you know, I was able to pass the torch off to new leadership at Axel Hire back in 2021. And so I spent a lot of time just basically thinking about like, okay, now that there's a bunch of these like last mile options available out there, you know, like what's going on with the middle mile? Because you still have people whose fulfillment centers are like you, right? Like in, in Missouri or, or in New Jersey or in Chicago or, you know, Tennessee or whatever state that they may possibly be in. How can they actually use one of these last mile providers if that person can't pick it up from their fulfillment center? Right. So they're stuck using FedEx. They're stuck using UPS. They're stuck using the postal service because it's basically impossible and, and it's too expensive for them to go out and get it to, to a different provider within the region it's supposed to get delivered in. 
And so, you know, kind of going through this and I realized it's not just expensive, even, even if they were willing to pay the price for it, they would still lose tracking, right? Because they, you know, you basically have multiple legs made up with multiple different carriers and you can't get all that visibility. So basically at first, you know, and I teamed up with my co-founder, Troy, who's my co-founder. I had or, or like acquired his company basically um, during my time at Axelire. So he was doing micro-fulfillment. He brought a lot of that like pick and pack experience, understanding like what e-com shippers are looking for, what they, ex what they exactly want. His company was called Covet Shipping at the time. And um, he left Axelire a little bit before me. We started talking about just like kind of like throwing shit on the wall, right? And like figuring out like what do shippers want? Like what's actually like a, a, a thing that shippers need right now? And I realized that like everyone, like, like I mentioned, like everyone was having problems with middle mile, right? Whether it was a last mile carrier having problems with their middle mile, whether it was a shipper that had problems getting things into their fulfillment centers or inventory transfers between, they'd lose a visibility. It was costing them an arm and a leg. And the existing options that were on the table were basically not enough. You know, like you can use an LTL company, but dude, you, you good luck getting tracking from an LTL company. And if you want to guarantee delivery from an LTL company, good luck with your budget. You know, uh, same thing with parcel, right? Like you can't ship everything via parcel. And I, we've even seen shippers nowadays that like because they want to avoid an LTL company so much, they're paying an arm and a leg for a parcel company to deliver it, um, just because the experience is so bad in LTL. And so, you know, as we're talking, we're like, okay, really what needs to be done is like a network, which is similar to an LTL company, but dynamic, flexible, right? Is able to deal with narrow appointment times, pick up appointments, drop off appointments, is able to go out and deal with like different capacities because shippers, right? How can a shipper say what their, what their consumer demand is going to be? They can run a marketing, right? They can go out and maybe get listed on a podcast and, you know, hope and, and, and pray that their volume gets to a certain amount, but there's no way for them to guarantee that to their vendor. Meanwhile, vendors don't want to buy cars or we're buying cars, you know, for 20, 30, 40% over their price to be able to handle this volume. And they're not trying to misallocate their own resources to specifically serve as that kind of like, you know, uneven demand. And so basically what we realize is like, if you put great, good enough algorithms in place, similar to what we did at the previous company, but basically if you put good enough algorithms in place, you create a system that's super flexible and keeps everything visible. You can actually help shippers deal with inconsistent like shipping needs. You can help um, on the capacity side, deal with kind of like unpredictable capacities and unpredictable needs there. And in the meantime, provide everything that the tracking, the transparency that they want at an affordable price point, you know? So literally, that's Warp, you know, like what Warp does is we utilize our network of cross docks, uh, straight trucks, cargo vans, 53 footers, both refrigerated and dry to basically create like a dynamic hub and spoke model that allows us to pick up freight in Texas and deliver it to New Jersey, either at a better price than an LTL company or at, at parity with an LTL company, but at the exact same time have much higher visibility and have much higher kind of like SLAs than you currently get with an LTL company. And we're actually applying this model, not just to less than load, but to full truckload, to air freight, to rail freight, to whatever really that a shipper needs in order to go out and get their freight where it needs to go. I love that. That's amazing. Um, almost sounds too good to be true, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, right. Like, you know, like uh, we've been living in a nightmare of freight and supply chain for the last three years as, um, you know, as a as an agency running brands, um, you know, every everything you can imagine has been uh, a scenario over the last couple of years in regards to supply chain, whether it's getting stuck out in the dock or getting stuck out in the ports, you know, um, truckers lying about where they are waiting for full loads 
uh, you know, should be so running. Truckers don't even lie about where they are anymore. Now they lie about who they are. You know, the newest thing is like the trucker identity fraud. That's a crazy stuff too, you know? <laughs> I haven't even heard of that. that. No, I haven't even heard <laughs> of that. Uh, but it's, you know, it's chaos and you're trying, you know, this can be the difference in, you know, at least being in the Midwest, like one of the advantages is like speed to, to the Amazon, um, warehouses. So if you're in LA, for example, you're dealing with like every, every boat coming into the port there, you know, a ton of volume going to those, those closest Amazon locations, uh, the check-in times are long, uh, and all of that is supply chain, right? You're in the Midwest, at least there's like, uh, it's, it takes a little bit longer to get freight here to the middle of the country, but once you're in the middle of the country, everything moves a lot faster because it's just not congested like it is in, you know, a lot of the port towns. So, um, you know, all these things like, uh, to anyone listening, like all these little differences matter, like speed and check-in times. And, uh, you know, if you're running a small lean team and trying to be efficient, um, those, those like arrival windows, you know, like I can't have, if I have a three person team, I can't have one of my guys just sitting there uh, you know, waiting on a truck to show up, uh, all day long, you know, not going to lunch or not doing this or not doing that. Um, you know, just waiting on these windows. So, uh, efficiency being one of those things that's, uh, almost seems like a dream, you know, if it was, if it was working like it has, um, how, how are you going about like, you know, I guess building the network in such a short amount of time to be so, uh, encompassing? So, so, widely so right now we're focusing on like mid middle market and enterprise shipper in order to be able to do that. Cause unfortunately, like that's the problem with SMB, you know what I mean? Like SMB, e like everybody wants to service them, but everyone is afraid to bear the cost of actually servicing SMBs. Right. And the thing is, is that our model works very well for medium sized businesses, large businesses, even some like small shippers who have some good volume in particular areas, right? Like there's coffee roasting companies that we work with right now that are basically like, they're, they're they just like fucking own LA, you know, like they, they have like 50 stores, 80 stores, whatever that are delivering their product in LA. They may not be so heavy in New Mexico. They may not even be the heavy in central California, but they're dominating in one particular market. That's also enough for us to be really working with. But right now we basically target shippers who have at least some kind of density so that we're able to grow out a national network as quickly as possible. And we really recently also opened up in Canada. So currently we service UX, US, uh, Canada and Mexico is coming up this year as well. So we'd be able to kind of pick it up from a fulfillment center in Mexico and drop it off to a last mile provider in Toronto or in, or in Ontario or something else like that. And there's tracking the entire way? Tracking the entire way, even if we change carriers. So we may like it might be a Mexican carrier that picks it up in Mexico. You switch hands with in a U.S. carrier, then you switch hands to a Canadian carrier. All of the tracking is visible via one tracking link. Okay, cool. So it might the tracking number might change multiple times, but you're still yep. able to track it. Exactly. Just thinking of it from an Amazon perspective, you know, and a lot of my listeners, um, they're not all Amazon sellers or Amazon brands by any means. Um, but on the Amazon side, a lot of times you're not able to use um, like self fulfilled shipping, simply because if you're shipping to uh, Canada, or you're shipping to Mexico, uh, you have to be able to track the item the entire way. And being able to upload that into the system is obviously um, something that is a requirement from Amazon in order to, in order to hit your metrics. So, um, but, but if you understand North America in regards to like the Amazon network, um, they have something called NARF, N-A-R-F, uh, in North American, you know, something freight, I'm sure. Uh, but it essentially takes your inventory that's in Amazon FBA, uh, and allows you to test the Canada and Mexico markets with that inventory already. So they're taking it, Maybe the handling time goes from two days to 
six or seven or six to eight days. That's the difference. But you're able to use your inventory here and ship there. Basically, sellers start testing that market, Canada or Mexico, which have been proven to be very, uh, you know, great opportunities. Um, and then they move their product into, okay, now let's set up, let's set up actual fulfillment and shipping in Canada and Mexico now that we've kind of tested the market. Um, but then being able to stay efficient, like we've, tr we've tried so many things through the years where, you know, just shipping through USPS to Canada or shipping, uh, you know, there's different services that have come out that we've tried. Um, and, you know, just shipping from here to Canada, especially during pandemic times and things like that has just been an absolutely brutal experience. Um, so that's really cool to see you guys expanding. Yeah, yeah, thank you, man. I yeah, and will it be like you know Canada native and Mexico native, or shipping from the U.S. to Canada, U.S. to Mexico, etc. All all the way through. So basically, like what we're trying to do is open up these markets and then connect them all with each other. So you can basically like you can ship a pallet from Guadalajara, make a stop in I don't know Texas and Laredo, Laredo, Texas, uh, then go up to Chicago and then boom, end up somehow you know in Vancouver or whatever else it may be. That's so, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> we're literally trying to do what Amazon is doing with its own shipments and for its own programs and kind of like give other shippers the capability to use that. Right. And, and I hate to say like, oh, be like Amazon or like Amazon. But like, unfortunately, right now, Amazon is the number one logistics company out there, you know, and I'm like, I'm not even talking about the retail side of it. Like they are the number one logistics company. They can pick yeah. up a they can pick up a package and deliver it in so many different ways on the other side of the country or the other side of the world. And, and they're able to do that bar none right now, you know, and, and UPS and FedEx, yeah, they can increase pricing and yeah, they can make some updates and they can do some stuff here and there, but it's not enough, you know? And so a lot of the, a lot of shippers, a lot of retailers, a lot of merchants are now going out their own ways, right? They're figuring out this last mile option, this middle mile option, this first mile option, this way to, to move freight by ocean or by air or whatever. And all of those options are available to them, but they're just so fragmented. You know what I mean? So like somebody, like you mentioned, who's running a three-person team or a five-person team, they don't have enough time in their day for that one shipment to cross-reference everything. Find out all these things. Correct. That's what Warp is able to do is we're connecting all, it's almost like a network of networks. If you think about it that way, right? We look at everything that's out there. We look at how goods are moving and we try to figure out the most efficient and not just the most efficient, but the most effective way to really get it to where it needs to go. It's so important. I mean, this is where profitability is found, at least in e-commerce is like, how tight is your supply chain? How tight is your freight? You know, uh, every single part of the process all the way then the end the end mile is paid media like your advertising or your marketing dollars and people forget that there's all this from getting your conversion rate and spending right on content to you know having the package arrive not damaged having to arrive on time having to arrive in, a, in an efficient package uh instead of you know oversized or or uh because everything is measured by you know weight and and um or dimensional weight uh, all the way down to who's using it. How long did it take you there? Were you out of stock 10 days? We didn't need to be out of stock. That's how much money, uh, you know, it comes all the way down uh, to, to that. And I think one thing about Amazon that I've learned, like I have been obsessing about Amazon, like I'm 25,000 hours on the platform or more, right? So, I mean, I have obsessed about everything that they've built, everything, right? And uh, you just like, you're spending that much time on something, you're analyzing it, you're thinking, and like to watch them be able to scale out their last mile delivery services by having people build their own business by saying, hey, you know, get a van and, you know, they have the service here, at least in Kansas City, where you can work four hours a night, 
or whatever. You pick up these four hour shifts and deliver packages as a part time job. And Amazon's not hiring all these trucks. They're not overstaffing. They're not. They have a flexible workforce because they're able to try that. Oh, Kansas City is gr- blowing up. Let's go test there. Oh, St. Louis is blowing up. Let's go test there. Let's test what's happening in Chicago. Okay, Chicago is going through a boom, or this warehouse is down. Let's send services over there. Um, so you, you're you're right. You're just talking about them, but they also are the massive giant. And one thing that we've learned is that like creating a relationship with, let's say. Um, a freight forwarder out of Jersey, for example, uh, is like an actually like if I could get a straight trucks from the Jersey port to Kansas City and work with that that uh, trucking company regularly and get a relationship, uh, it is worth more to pay more for that relationship and to get dedicated shipping where our truck's not going to sit there for a week somewhere in a parking lot waiting on another load or um, it is worth so much more in profit to be able to pay those higher prices than Amazon's dedicated trucks uh, to ensure that your stuff gets there and gets checked in on time and is done right. So what I know is that there's a big move in e-com and in, in the Amazon industry to move away from the cheapest to yeah. move to better. Uh, and they're willing to do that because it, it comes down to it. And then also a second thing, part two, is a massive shift to start sourcing product from Latin America and Mexico. So. Yeah. Um, a lot more products getting made uh, and brought out of Mexico, Guadalajara, wherever, um, up into the U.S. Uh, so people are paying more than than going to China, but it's about that speed. It's about the supply chain, things like that. And they're looking to counter for like things that happened in the pandemic. Um, so these big manufacturing com- conferences, all these kinds of things are starting to happen in Mexico City. Uh, through you know, colleagues that I have are running these types of things as there's a massive not exodus from China, but more so a uh, a need to just find, uh, you know, alternate solutions. And so being able to, being able to get the same freight company, like let's say, uh, I've been using warped and I'm a U.S. company or I'm, uh, and then now I can go get it to get my LTL freight from Mexico as well and use the same system and network. I think that's, I mean, it's going to be absolutely huge for growth and e-com. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I also, man, I think that like, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about e-com cause that's like, you know, all everybody is interested in clicking, you know, but brick and mortar is huge too. You know what I mean? Like a lot of brands, like I, you know, I, I encourage a lot of people to go to brick and mortar also, like people are back in stores, people are back shopping in the stores. And like, there's a huge, massive opportunity to disrupt what's currently happening in the stores. Like I don't want to see like 50 different yogurt brands on the shelves anymore. You know what I mean? On top of that, like there's these small retailers, like especially here in LA, you think about like Venice Beach, Melrose Avenue, like uh, even Hollywood is even like on Coenga is having its own like little, uh, you know, final come up, right? Where you have like really small form fat brick and small format, small form factor brick and mortar stores that are now looking at the high-end products to get are looking at the right yogurt the right butter even the right you know chips or the right like uh, paper towels or some stuff like that and i think there's a huge opportunity for brands and manufacturers and you know both small and big alike to really start rethinking the way they're getting products into physical stores that's a lot of fun also I have some food for thought there because, you know, e com is my world. That's been my obsession. So obviously I'm coming even with questions and feedback around e com, But retail is is a b- very big part of that. The best companies are doing, you know, they're, they're in a hybrid model, right? Where they're retail and they're online or all in sync and all that kind of thing. The problem has been uh, for retail, at least the last couple of years, is that whenever I am in the mood to go into a store to shop, let's say I'm leisurely shopping for fashion or something like that, at least here in Kansas City, you know, we have the plaza. We have a few of these locations. Um, 
for like boutique shopping or things like that, Nordstrom or wherever you're going, right? Uh, here in the Midwest. And, uh, you know, you're there to shop and they don't have the basic sizes, right? They don't have a size 10 or 11 shoe or a medium or large and what I'm looking for, uh, the, the re- which used to be like, I need something by this weekend. I'm going to a retail shop to buy it versus, versus purchasing online. That might be the reason I'm going in or else I have pleasure time. And then I'm going there and they haven't been stocked. They have no product, right? There's nothing more infuriating than like actually going in person, spending your time. If you value your time, you're like, this isn't the most efficient use of my time. I'm doing it because I want to be leisurely or because I need something quickly. And then they don't have basic common sizes. And a lot of that comes down to supply chain. I was in a, I took a client to dinner on Tuesday night and uh, was talking to the server and I was just making a joke about, uh, you know, like, is there anything on the menu that, that you guys don't have so I don't get my hopes up? Because it seems to be my luck. I just always pick the item that no one has. <laughs> and, you know, it's just like the one you, you come there for the chicken fingers or whatever. and They don't have chicken fingers that day. And you're like, what, what's going on? And I was just talking to her and she's like, it was something to do with like black peppercorn. For, for one of their main items. And she's like, you know, we don't have any black peppercorn. And she's like, the thing is, is that we could go to the store and get black peppercorn. For example, go down to Whole Foods. But she's like, our distributor, who's who we buy everything from, doesn't have black peppercorn. And they're out and they can't get it. And so, yeah. you know, there's these, that was just like a little insight on what's actually happening in those brick and mortar locations, where if they're tied and they only have one distributor or one shipper or one you know one way to get access let's say and that is behind or not working or they don't have access to it they're sol um so what are the other opportunities and ways for people to get access to stuff um you know in in brick and mortar and get stuff from different parts of of you know one thing about amazon that i love is i've kind of removed the distributor model uh Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways right i'm going Mm -hmm. direct with the brands direct with local uh, people think of Amazon as this giant, but they forget that there's all these little brands selling on there, all these small, medium sized businesses selling mm-hmm. on there. And I'm taking them direct. So I'm that middleman that used to take a huge cut of their revenue is now gone uh, because mm-hmm. we've helped them be self-sufficient themselves and be able to reach, um, you know, Kansas, local Kansas City company is now selling to customers in L.A. as if they're in Kansas City, you know, through Amazon. So these types of things and being able to. Um, not have to rely on whether distributors have the best model or maybe they've made a contract with this freight company uh and they're stuck into it and so you're having to like abide by their rules or their partners whatever they've got and really opening that up so i know that's a little bit but um you know even from my side some of the things i've experienced on the retail side that very much are are in tune is like i think there will be this comeback to retail when retail decides hey we have to be better to compete you know put the better yogurt on the shelf you know, make sure we have like what we say we're going to have in store, you know, um, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think that time is right now, man. I think the retailers are, you have, especially with like short store shutdowns happening across the board. You have labor shortages across the board. Retailers are trying to figure out ways to make money, to retain the money that they're making. And man, like, I don't know. I love commerce. Like I don't care. I love omni-channel commerce, right? Like that, that just me, yeah. but like, I think that like, the right retailers, the right brands, the right manufacturers can have such a good strategy now. And like 2023 is the year that you have to be omnichannel in my eyes, but like you have to diversify e-com, brick and mortar, get regional, figure out, you know, what are the ghost kitchens or what are the ghost uh, retail that can actually sell your product for you? There's so many options now with an omnichannel retail kind of like uh, experience that like if as a small as a small business, as a medium-sized business, you need to be there and you need to be hitting the consumer on every single one of those fronts. 
I agree. I have a couple more questions for you before before we get there. Uh, finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use a full-scale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Uh, fullscale.io, to all our listeners, um, is our main sponsor for the show. They help us put all of this out, help us um, you know, get, get promoted on all, the, on all the areas where we can get more, more views and be able to do the show for free. As well, uh, fullscale.io, simply browsing the site, seeing like how they've built that site to be able to find uh, people to join your team, like the, the interactive characters, being able to see the employees, what they do. It's really freaking cool and worth even just checking out to see how they built that, whether you're looking for software developers or not. So totally check it out. Daniel, a couple questions as we like round out the last 10 minutes here. So um, I, like to, I like to end with a couple of questions that just kind of like open it up, I guess, to take it where you want. Um, but the first question being around warp, um, what is something you're working on that's not, you know, out yet, I guess, so to speak, or it's not already part of the service, but something you're working on that you are excited about, or you or the team are excited about, uh, in 2023. So this year we're trying to go out and give a lot of our tools out to the different parties that are involved. So we're putting our scanning technologies free of charge into facilities that want to adopt it. We're giving carriers. Uh, a carrier management system, again, free of charge, so that they're able to go out and make their business use easier. We're giving capabilities to shippers, free of charge again, so they can scan things outbound, so they get a lot more visibility at the facility level to see what's going on. So we're taking a lot of the technology that we've actually built, and we're putting it out there to the market and letting them use it for their own business, right? Even if Warp is not involved in their day-to-day -day operation, even if we're not currently transporting freight for them, we're putting these pieces into their hands so we can have a better ecosystem in general like our big goal right now is like to change the way that freight works in general right we we think of ourselves on in some cases of freight as a new operating system for freight and for transportation and we want to put this operating system out there in as many hands as possible so you know that's definitely one of our one of our biggest priorities this year i love that let's get into that just a little bit more to anyone listening that owns Maybe they're maybe they're one of those those services that you mentioned. Maybe they're the the shipper themselves. Maybe they're the brand. Maybe they're the business. Maybe they're the retail store. Like who who is a good fit for you know to contact you guys or to learn about Warp or maybe to to try to get some of that stuff in their hands to test it. Like you know what what's, what qualifies I guess as being a good partner in that regard. So the first one that's coming out is anything for the facilities. So it's our cross dock management capabilities. So basically, what that allows facilities to do is to it's like an it's like a inventory management system like an ims meets uh, warehouse scanning technology right so basically that's the first one that's getting released it, it should enable uh different facilities whether it's a brand owned facility or a third-party facility like a 3pl or 4pl whatever it may be to really be able to have better inventorization of what's inside of their building to have better receiving capabilities, especially as far as like labeling different pallets, labeling different cartons, whatever that they need to do when they're inbounding freight into their facility, and then being able to outbound that freight by automatically building routes or easily just building which inventory list they need to remove, and then automatically knowing which shelves or which sections in that facility to go to. So this should be available free of charge at the beginning of Q3 for us. Um, and then that's kind of like first and foremost, the one that's happening afterwards is on the carrier side so that's any trucking company courier company company with three trucks that wants to put them into a marketplace and start getting work for them that's what's coming out next for them awesome sounds exciting i'm gonna definitely have to stay connected we are we're in our third year as a fulfillment center 
you know, continuing to grow. Um, and we're using a variety of tools, right? We're having to ha not hodgepodge, but, um, you know, definitely be have a warehouse management system and an IMS and, you know, a shipping aggregator software and, uh, you know, all these different tools that essentially like, you know, give our customers the best options. Like we, you know, we, are, we do have five, six different ways to ship that we're, you know, every so often being like, what is the best way to send out this package? Um, you know, and making sure that we're giving them the best options is something you have to stay on all the time. Um, so that's really cool. And I'm making a mental note, uh, you know, to just check us out here in the Midwest. Maybe we can be a, a case study for you guys out here or something. But um, all right, two, part two, question two, um, something that you, Daniel, in 2023, uh, non-business related, I guess it could be business related, but just something that you're working on or that you're excited about, uh, you know, this year in your personal life. Uh, look, man, my personal life, it's, you know, it has, <laughs> it's a lot of stuff happening. Um, I would say something I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, so basically outside of warp, I've, I've been spending a lot of time around like space and space logistics. And okay. I've been like overall, like, uh, preparing for, you can say preparing for launch, but basically, um, I want to start getting involved in space logistics very soon. I think that's an industry that's coming up here in the next, with it, by 2025, by the time they were setting up the moon landers and things like that up in space. Um, but that's something I'm super excited about. I think that SpaceX has been doing like, it's like a launch every single week, if not more this whole year. Um, there's a lot of other companies right now that are coming out there. And so far, space logistics has meant sending satellites up to space and deploying satellites and making sure that they're properly positioning themselves and stuff like that. I think in the next year, two or three years, we're about to be seeing about sending inventory to space, right? So like Ooh. raw materials to the moon, raw materials up to the space station so we can actually start building things up there. So I'm really excited to see what happens out there. I think, I think that like like logistics and transportation is getting a new frontier for itself. And that, you know, space is in this case, the new frontier. I love that answer. It was not what I expected. It's not something I've heard either on the show. Um, super original and unique. So super cool. I honestly was like going to have to ask what space logistics was. I'm like, is space a, you know, a, a term for something in, in, in the, in the industry that I don't know about, you know, is it about like allocating space in a warehouse or something? No, but you're talking about actual space. I think that that's freaking, I think that's freaking awesome. Um, you know, if they ask for volunteers to go to a, uh, inhabitable planet, I don't want to go to Mars. I don't want to go to the moon. But, you know, you find something with like some green and blue and I'm probably signing up like I'll, I'll go there never to return. But uh, <laughs> you know, that's about where my love is for it. I'll be honest, like I just uh, I barely can get through winter. So I don't think I could live in a place that doesn't have like uh, green and blue. I'm an African boy. I grew up in Africa. So um, just being out in nature is like a must for me to, to survive. But um, that's super incredible. And then like lastly, Daniel, uh, people are wanting to follow your story, Warp Story, um, get in contact with you, learn more about what you guys are doing. Um, what's the best place on social or web for them to find you? Yeah, so online, it's wearewarp.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-W-A-R-P.com. Uh, they can go visit us anytime, fill out any of the forms. Our sales team gets back within one business day, so that should be quick. Outside of that, we're pretty active on LinkedIn. So the Warp LinkedIn channel is where we post all of our news. Sorry where we post all of our news, updates, photos of new team members and things like that. And then we're also pretty engaging on Twitter. Um, so follow us on Twitter as well. So I would say across all of those channels, or, you know, if somehow you find my number and want to call me to talk about your logistics problems, I'm more than happy to answer and, and be a 
and be your freight therapist for you. <laughs> I, I love it. I love the uh, the freight therapist. That's funny. Me and my me and my buddy were talking about just having a business therapist and what that looks like. It's a little bit different than personal, but Daniel, it's been a lot of fun learning about something new today for sure. For me, I think probably a lot of new for our listeners as well. Thank you for all the value um, and the time you brought. Awesome, man. Thank you for yours. You're welcome. And thanks again to our sponsors made all this possible, Fullscale.io. They have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit Fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions, then let the platform match you up with fully vetted, high experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At Fullscale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit Fullscale.io. Thank you, Hustlers, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.